Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. When I last preached, it was the second Sunday of Easter. We talked about how the disciples, after everything they had experienced, after walking with Jesus, after witnessing his death, after seeing him resurrected, after he taught them in the intervening 40 days, had just gone back to their daily lives. Peter and his crew had literally gone fishing. We also discussed how after we witnessed the same events during Holy Week and the subsequent Sundays, that we had also likely just gone back to our routine lives. But we also talked about hope. We talked about how Peter did finally stop fishing and instead became a leader and ultimately a martyr for Christ Jesus. We saw that Jesus transformed their ordinary lives into extraordinary ones. On Thursday, we celebrated Jesus's ascension. And just as I had told you in my sermon back those four weeks ago, on that day, it says that Jesus upbraided, which means to severely scold, his disciples for their unbelief. So as of last Thursday, they were in the same place that we talked about a few weeks ago, now several weeks later. Maybe you still are also. If Jesus came by today, would he be scolding us? If you're anything like me, I expect so. But I told you that something changed in Peter. Something changed in Thomas and Philip and James. And that change started last Thursday, when as Jesus spoke, he was carried up before their eyes to the very right hand of God. As Subdeacon Stephen taught us on Thursday, the disciples saw Jesus Christ assume his rightful throne. As we so often talk about here at Advent, the disciples and the rest of the Jewish people were expecting a king in the Messiah who would save them from their earthly enemy, Rome. And at the ascension, the disciples realized that they got not a little K king, but the king, capital K king, who would indeed save them from their earthly enemies. Not Rome, or at least not only Rome, but sin and death. And finally, something in their minds was beginning to click. As Subdeacon also noted, Jesus left the disciples. And to us, we might imagine this as the end of something. That the disciples would therefore be fearful, worried, despondent, just like they were after his crucifixion. But here we see the opposite. The gospel tells us that they worship Jesus and return to Jerusalem with great joy, with very great joy and that they stay continually at the temple praising God. Now Jesus had just told them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I love how it says creature. It doesn't say every person, it says that every creature. The redeeming work of Jesus isn't meant just for you and me, just for our fellow people, but for the animals, the plants, every living thing. The psalm, among many other places, tells us about this when David says how the valleys are covered with corn and they sing. The Jewish law protected not only people, but also the animals who were treated with respect 
and who likewise rested on the Sabbath day by law. But coming back from that aside, Jesus had just told the disciples to go into all the world. But right before that, he said, don't go yet. He told them to tarry in Jerusalem until they were clothed with power from on high because he would be sending the promise of his Father upon them. And that's where we sit today, in that period, between those words and that power coming. When on 10 days later, on Pentecost, they would receive that power from on high, that incredible power of fire, of a mighty rushing wind from heaven that would fulfill the promises Jesus made on the Ascension Mount. That they would cast off devils, speak with new tongues, heal the sick by laying their hands upon them. But not yet. For now, tarry in Jerusalem. That may not sound like a call to action, but that is our call to action today. To sit in our time between the ascension and the descent of the Holy Spirit, to tarry in Jerusalem. So how do we do that? What should we be doing before we are hopefully likewise empowered? Well, let's look at what the disciples were doing. First, as I already noted, we hear that the disciples were joyful. Nothing anyone else could see had changed in their world. They were still, there were still the Romans, there was still crime, there were still mean people, there was still sickness, there was still death. And yet on the inside, the disciples already knew that everything had changed. The world had a new king, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The old prince of this world, who we had given our power to, given over the kingdom God had given to us to rule over the creatures of this world, had been given over to the devil by our fall. He had command over us, and he brought a tyranny of sin and death over all humankind. But the disciples now knew, and I hope you live each day of your lives the same, knowing that although sin and death still exist, they have no power over us. They can no longer defeat us. The power has been sapped away by Jesus Christ, who remained faithful when we could not, who conquered death and opened the gates of Hades to all before and after, including us. If you look around and feel like the world is still a terrible place, I'm sorry to say, you're right, it is. But you, my brothers and sisters, have received the illumination of the Holy Spirit. You see with fresh eyes. You now see clearly that our salvation is near and that our salvation is indeed one. You see with your own eyes Jesus ascending to the throne to sit down at the right hand of God. And you should be joyful no matter what pain, what sorrow, whatever happens, be joyful. Now, of course, that doesn't mean not to weep with those who weep. No, weep indeed. But as D David, who in Psalm 30 says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Be joyful. As Jesus himself says in the gospel today, though, not everything will be rosy when the comforter is come. For the time cometh when whosoever kills you will think he does God's service. Jesus had prophesied many of their own martyrdoms. They knew the road ahead was not easy, yet they were joyful because they now finally understood that even death would not have dominion over them. Second, during this period, the disciples replaced Judas with Matthias. The 12 were complete again. For us, I think this means we must take whatever is dead in us, whatever sin was within us, and make ourselves whole again. We need to make things right that we've done wrong. We need to, complete our, we need to make ourselves complete vessels so that we can accept the Holy Spirit when he comes. 
This is not just an individual act, though. It's also a corporate one. Christianity, contrary to what many Christian groups are touting, is a team sport, and we need all the players. Everyone knows it's a huge advantage in hockey if one of your teammates is sitting it out in the penalty box, or in basketball when your best player is fouled out. For the body of Christ to be whole and healthy, we need you to be at your best. Advent needs all of us firing on all cylinders as much as possible so that we can fulfill the great commission Jesus gives to his disciples and us at the ascension to go and preach the good news to every creature. Third, we know in the interstitial between the ascension and Pentecost, they devoted themselves to prayer. I hope you've noticed on our Facebook page that we've been posting each day the novena to the Holy Spirit. A novena is a nine-day prayer. The nine days being patterned after these nine days of prayer that the apostles did during this time between the ascension and Pentecost. Other novenas have subsequently developed at Christmas time or for certain saint days, but this novena to the Holy Spirit is the first. And I hope you find the novena to the Holy Spirit useful in devoting yourself to prayer during these nine days. But no matter how you choose to pray, pray. Focus this week on prayer and worship of God in everything you do. Be single-minded in your purpose and pray for and anticipate the great work of God within you. Ask for and have faith. You will receive the extraordinary power to serve God, to transform your ordinary life into the extraordinary. I know God will help you do this because it is his mission. He wants you to experience his kingdom in the here and now. In his ascension, Jesus took the human mind, the heart, the soul, the body into the very throne room of God, above the angels and into the very presence of God. Yet Jesus is also our head and we his body. Thus we are already there. We are already present in his kingdom. When we say the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, we aren't asking for it just to come in the future, but for us to be able to actualize it here and now in our lives. Because even if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we'd be able to see it's already present, just as the disciples did on the Ascension Mount. And what's glorious is that on Pentecost, the Spirit descends where? Let's take a step back for a moment. At the time of Jesus, Israel was not only without a king, but they were without the presence of God in the temple. Recall the Shekinah glory, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night had left the temple at the time of the Babylonian exile. The Jews were also, in expect, were also expectant of the return of the Shekinah glory to the temple, and it happened, but not to the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus had told the Samaritan woman at the well that a time was coming and now, and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, rather than on this mountain or that mountain. What happens in the ascension is that Jesus takes our very flesh and blood into the throne room, the Holy of Holies in the temple of heaven, and on Pentecost, what happens is that God comes into the very throne room of the human race, the temple of the human race, our bodies, our hearts, our minds. St. Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? The Shekinah glory has returned to the temple, not to the one in Jerusalem, but the one where it was always intended to be, inside of us. 
I won't go into all the details now, but anyone reading the story of Genesis with ancient eyes would hear the story of the building of a temple in the creation story. And what is at the center of an ancient temple? The image of the deity. And what is incredible in Genesis is that God is building the temple and puts his image, the deity's image, in the temple, us. We are in the center of the temple built by God, this marvelous creation, his creature, that we, the good news, brings all this life back to. We're the center of that temple. And in the fulfillment of the tent of meeting, patterned after we see in Revelation, after the heavenly temple, we are again, at least in one way, at the center of that temple. Jesus takes humanity to heaven, and the Holy Spirit brings God into humanity in the fullest way. Praise be to God. Every act of Jesus is salvific for us, not just his crucifixion and resurrection, by his conception and birth, he unites every bit of us, our bodies, our souls, our minds, our wills, our souls to God. In his life, he acts in complete obedience to God. He makes of himself a sacrifice, therefore conquering sin. And in his resurrection, he conquers death. But that is only conquering our physical death. He isn't satisfied with that. He wants to make sure that any spiritual death is likewise conquered. So he takes our very nature into the most exalted, holy, and intimate place we could be with God, in the very presence of the Father, in the holiest of holies in heaven. And then he sends down the Holy Spirit. He sends down the Holy Spirit to be with us, to live and dwell with us completely holy in each and every one of our hearts and minds and bodies that we will experience that intimacy with God the Father that we exercise every time we say in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, Abba, our good Daddy, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. Even if you did not have the best of earthly dads, you can give thanks that we all have the most amazing of dads in God the Father. And he is best of brother, and the best of brothers in his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And that the proof of that is that although he is God, the very creator of the universe, the very creator of you and me, he wants, if you want, and again, only by your permission, through your choice to make yourself a temple, through your choice to be chrismated or to live into the one you received as a child, to prove that love for you by coming down from his throne and dwelling with you. Yes, Jesus went to prepare many rooms, and you are one of them. Praise be to God. So may these things, make these things your prayers this week. Commit yourself to being ready for the Spirit of God to dwell in you, to transform you. Work to make your personal and corporate vessel whole, and do all of it with joy. Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.